Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show today, and get ready for a great show. But first, I want to thank Highmark, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, for sponsoring this show as the lead sponsor, and also Covestro and AudioEye. Thank you so much. But before we get going, special shout-out to my friend Yoshiko Dart. Now, someone said to me, wow, you do this every show, why? I said, well, I've mentioned this before, but Yoshiko, whom I love and is a great leader for all of us, her husband, Justin Dart, who's passed away, was such a great leader across the world, not just here. And we need to always remember that. So, Yoshiko, you lead on like as I know you are. And so is our guest today. I love this woman. I do. But so does the disability community because of everything she is doing to fight the fight for us. And that is what she has done. She is nationally recognized. Welcome to the show, Colleen Starkloff, co-director of the Starkloff Disability Institute. Oh, Joyce, thank you. Boy, what a lead-in. I hope I can uh, match up to that. But but it's uh, this is kind of the Mutual Adoration Society, Joyce. I think you stand out, and I'm grateful for this um, radio show you do all the time to call people's attention to our issues because, unfortunately, they remain so current. So thank you for your leadership. And I love that you called out Yoshko. I always march with Yoshko in Washington every year. We meet each other on the corner outside the Grand Hyatt Hotel and march to the Capitol, carrying on what our what our husbands taught us to do, uh, the late Justin Dart and the late Max J. Starkloff. And uh, we love this movement. And when people say, are you ever going to retire, we say, why would we do that? <laughs> Oh, you know what, Colleen, you, that is exactly how I feel. People say to me, oh, you know, aren't you tired of doing this at Vendor Consulting? When are you going to retire? And I say, when I die. So I hope that's not soon. My but husband died with his boots on. Justin Dart died with his boots on. You better believe Yoshiko's going to die with her boots on, and I'm polishing mine. And me too. That's how it is because, you yeah, know, this, this, isn't, this isn't just a job, as you no. well know. No. It's a crusade. And sadly, we have a long way to go, but we are going to fight to get there. And, you know, because this show is replayed 12 hours later, I'm always so amazed when I see we have people listening from Japan and other countries, Sweden, a lot of people. And I just want to say to all of you, thank you so much. Keep fighting the fight for people with disabilities because guess what? It doesn't matter where you live in the world, just like me living with epilepsy, just like you, a seizure is a seizure. So thank you so much. And I'm so excited you're going to get to hear one of America's national disability leaders. So let's start by you telling our listeners how you first became involved in this community and, of course, about Max since he is central to that question. Well, he is central to that question, and thank you for letting me talk about one of my favorite subjects, uh, Max Starkloff. I was educated at St. Louis University in the physical therapy school, and um, so when I got out, I knew very little about disability except what I saw clinically. What I knew was when I was a little kid growing up, I would take my brothers and sisters by the hand and walk up to the... uh, the neighborhood Catholic school where I went to school. and But big, the big yellow school bus would pass us as we left in the morning. We'd go to the house up to the street, up the street, Joey's house. And Joey, Joey went to a different school, but the, the school bus driver would get out, 
walk up the steps to Joey's house, fold up a wheelchair, or pick up Joey and carry Joey to the bus. Not, excuse me, not Joey, his brother, his brother, who we all called brother. Would go pick up brother off the front porch, carry him onto the bus, go back and fold up brother's wheelchair and take that to the bus. And the message that sent to us was, kids with disabilities are different than we are. They can't go to our schools. They do different things in their lives. Um, Later, I, uh, still in grade school, would sit on the front porch with our neighbor a couple doors down who was a retired nurse. And we were talking one day, and I probably was in about seventh or eighth grade. And I said to her, "Um, you're a nurse. Why did you stop working as a nurse? And she said, well, because my husband has a disability and he's in bed all day and I need to take care of him. Well, the message that sent to me is that if you have a disability, you're going to stay in bed all day and somebody has to stay home and take care of you. And But one of the things I thought of, and this is sort of interesting, and you'll see in a second why it's rather odd, um, I thought, well, if I was a nurse and if my, other, if my husband ever had a disability, I could take care of him. Well, fast forward to uh, graduating from college and getting a job as the chief physical therapist in a nursing home. Um, I was also the only physical therapist, so so they called me the chief physical therapist. And um, it was there that I met Max Starkloff. And the impact he had on my life was, was, I can't even put it in words, it was tremendous. It was life-changing to meet him. The smile on his face, the look in his eyes, and of course he was drop dead gorgeous. That didn't that didn't hurt either. But <laughs> he just he just emanated passion and commitment to change how people with disabilities live. And what's funny about what I said earlier about the neighbor down the street who took care of her husband was that while I was fortunate to meet Max and hear about his passions and commitment and then marry him, there's no way I would ever take care of him. I was his attendant, I was his wife, I was his lover, I was the mother of his children, but I was an extension of Max. I was able to assist him so that he could do what he wanted to do, and in making the decisions about what I did, when I did them, to assist Max, he was in charge of his own life. That was very clear to me from the beginning. So the idea that I'd be a nurse or a physical therapist or anything else and take care of somebody with a disability is out the window really fast. And I think that's very important, particularly in light of this, what we're going to talk about today, because we've got to stop thinking that people with disabilities need to be taken care of. If we have expectations of disabled people, and if they have the right opportunities, they can take care of themselves. Now, some people say, what's she talking about? If you can't get bathed and dressed and out of bed every day and, and uh, do do physically for yourself, somebody's taking care of you. Uh, Not so fast. We have the capacity as people with disabilities to make decisions about our own lives and decide what will be done when and lead to more independence by taking control of our lives. And that's why I don't use the word taken care of. Uh, And Max taught me that. But he also taught me that we lived in a world that didn't really welcome people with disabilities. It was pretty hostile back then. I would think that there's a fair amount of your listeners that that don't know of a time when there weren't curb cuts or lifts on buses or access that was mandated. Back when Max and I started in the early 70s, I met him in 73, married him in 75, but I signed up for the disability rights movement the, the second day I was on my new job in October of 73. And there just were not changes that enabled our society be, to be welcoming to people with disabilities. So um, now we have a whole different type of society because we do have the ADA. We have mandates for accessibility. We have technology that's incredible. We've done so much to change the world now. Um, that we are, we've changed education for young people with disabilities so that they can be integrated with non-disabled people and they can go on to higher education and better skills. There's no excuse now for people with disabilities not to be fully integrated. And that was the, he was my mentor 
and uh, Max was my mentor, and I learned all this and thought, there's a lot of PTs in the world. There's not enough people working on disability rights. So I signed up and became a card-carrying member of the disability rights movement in October 2nd, 1973. <laughs> wow. You know what, Colleen? I mean, so many things you said I agree with, but the when I, and as you know, as the CEO of Bender Consulting Services, which one of the reasons we're for-profit is no pity, like don't think of us as a charity. But when I talk to a company about employing people with disabilities, I can tell you that one of the biggest problems, which relates to pity, is this idea of the person needing taken care of, just what you said. Yep. You know, that medical model. You would think that would be gone, that model, but it's not gone. That Mm -hmm. is one of the biggest problems. Joyce, it's huge. It's, it's, it's absolutely huge. Um, we, we started a, um, I work for the Starkloff Disability Institute and, um, we started an initiative called the Next Big Step. Because although Max and I cut our teeth in independent living and created options for disabled people to decide what's independent for them and how to live a more independent life, and also created options for grassroots advocacy so people learn to speak up for themselves and not take no for an answer, uh, we left Paraquad, the organization we started in 1970, and we, we created the Starkloff Disability Institute in 1970, in 2003, I'm sorry. And one of the first things we had to ask ourselves is, what, what's, what's a single, if you could only work on one issue, which we don't, and I'll tell you about that later, if there's a single issue that we need to work on, what would it be? And we said, it's employment. Mm-hmm. Well, what drives unemployment of people with disabilities? Societal attitude toward people who have a disability. If we continue to think that we have to take care of disabled people, we'll continue to have budgets that are out of control. That's what's going on in Washington right now. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the Congress, the, uh, the, the House, just, just dealt a damaging blow to the health care system in this country, and, and in particular to people with disabilities who, who rely on it so heavily, um, because they don't understand disability. They just don't understand. And it's so complicated, they didn't even read the legislation. They don't even understand what they did. Hopefully the Senate will change that, and we can get into that later in this call. But there's a lack of understanding of the capacity of people with disabilities. Organizations like yours that, that enable people with disabilities to get into really good jobs, which you're, you're not only creating an opportunity for disabled people to be more self-sufficient, and contributing members of society. But each person that Bender Consulting sends into a corporation is an ambassador to that company. And that uh-huh. company begins to see disabled people differently. And I know you, you have a cross-disability approach to this. So if you have somebody who's blind or deaf or uses a wheelchair or has epilepsy, whatever it is, those are people that the hiring managers, who are all, by and large, non-disabled people, who don't understand disability, their attitude's going to be changed when they see the performance that uh, employees with disabilities offer to a company. It begins to change that company's culture. It's, it's huge. I so agree with you because I'll go speak somewhere, someone will come up to me or people I know here in Pittsburgh in business will come up to me and say, I just want you to know, I think it's so wonderful what you do. And I say... Don't tell me that. Hire someone. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hire someone. Don't talk about it. Don't say how nice I am. I mean, I appreciate that. Don't get me wrong. But where the rubber meets the road is employment. I agree with you 100% that when companies talk about just webinars and all of this other stuff, which are good, but I tell them, the only way you'll change the work face of America when it comes to the employment of people with disabilities 
is to hire someone. Because when you hire someone, it starts, as you indicated, breaking down those barriers. You know, i got to tell you a funny story. And and I'm going to use this story to illustrate how important having people on the inside of companies become allies with us for this issue of disability hiring. So we worked, we, we do consulting, Starkloff Disability Consulting. We were working with this company, very major company, growing rapidly in St. Louis, headquartered in St. Louis. And it's, a national, it's an international company. So they were not hiring very many people with disabilities, but they wanted to. So we worked with them, we consulted with them, we went in and trained their employees how to be welcoming, we role-played interviews. All of our trainers are people with significant disabilities who go in and do these trainings because if your trainers are non-disabled, then your, your trainees get off easy. They haven't had to face somebody with a disability, talk to them, learn to communicate, and feel comfortable with them, or even touch them. Mm-hmm. So all of our trainers are significantly disabled. Well, anyhow... So after we did the training, we went to the talent acquisition uh, officer and we said, say, you know, we know this person who has the skills you're looking for in a particular job. Uh, She's blind and uh, you might want to take a look at her. She's very impressive. So they did and they ended up hiring her. Now, here's the funny thing about it. This, This talent acquisition officer knew nothing about disabled people, went through our training, uh, was a sighted guide. We, we do sighted guide training so that they have to touch a blind person. The trainees have to touch a blind person. But they also get comfortable with talking to somebody who's blind and being a sighted guide. People, we in, Innately, we like to be helpful. So um, this really helps to get people warmed up and more comfortable. So anyway, so he had been through this training and uh, he had talked with the person who oriented him, and this, the trainer had a dog, and he thought the dog was great, and so he learned a lot through that experience. So, so now they hire this blind person to come to work for him, and the team that this blind woman goes into work with comes to the talent acquisition officer and says, oh, she's great. We really love her. We, we really want to hire her, but, but here's the thing. Who is going to walk her dog? And the talent acquisition officer... Said, oh my God! Well, I think she will. After all, she's been doing it, and the team said, "Oh my gosh, yes!" But the talent acquisition officer was so pleased to tell me how he handled this situation. He had become an ally, and it's because he had been trained by people with disabilities. He'd been able to ask his questions of people with disabilities that allayed his fears about having an employee who has a significant disability, and he could turn around and tell the rest of them, well, I think she'll do it just fine. That's important. That's another aspect of disability hiring that's so important for us to to grab onto, and um, it makes a huge difference in a company. Wow. You know what? That also just shows to you how there's so much that needs to be so much education that yeah. needs to happen yeah. just to ask who's going to walk the dog. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. That is, that, that is you know, that is amazing. But, yeah, that is a great story, and um, I, I agree with you. Um, so you keep talking off and on a little bit about the Starcloth Institute. So I have a double question here. One what are you going to do to keep the legacy of Max known? Because here's a problem in this country. We study all disability history. I mean, we study other history, but not disability mm-hmm. history, just as I said about keeping Justin uh, right. alive through talking about it. But what are you going to do to keep the legacy of, Mar- of Max known? And also tell us about the Starkloft Institute. Well... You couldn't have asked me a better question because talking about Max is a very favorite, another favorite subject of mine. Um, I'm very dedicated to that because Max was a person who really left his mark on the world. Um, as, as soon as Max died, I immediately started the um, Max Starkloff Society, which is a development um, piece. 
it's a way that we raise money, but there are a lot of people in St. Louis who knew of Max, didn't all know him, but a fair number of our members did know him, but there's newer and newer people that didn't know him. And that's for our donors of $1,000 and up who help to sustain the work that we do. The other thing I did in keeping with Max's, um, his very strident disability rights nature was to start the Max Starkloff Speaker Series. And um, we, we don't have a lot of funding for it, but we've been able to have Judy Human, Mark Abristo, Mark Johnson, and Liz Savage as some of our um, speakers as part of the Max Starkloff Speaker Series. And, and always the topics of that are around disability, very salient disability issues that are very important to the disability rights community. But it's a way for us to educate the public on issues that are so important to people with disabilities. And I think the third thing is that just the work of the Starkloff Disability Institute in general is a legacy to Max. Um, the promotion of universal design is something I'm passionate about, but Max was very much um, sympathetic about it because we need to promote UD, universal design, so that we could creating segregated environments so that we put all the disabled people over in the accessible environment and not integrate disabled people into the rest of our society. Um, we created disability studies at Maryville University. We were asked by Maryville because they knew us and knew that we wanted to, we were looking for a place to create a disability studies curriculum. So we teach disability studies. So once we had those two things off the ground and we'd done some disability history stuff, we did a in, in celebration of the 20th anniversary of the ADA, we did a disability history exhibit at the Missouri History Museum, and they wanted to focus just on the work Max and I had done, and we said, no, 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 you can't do that. This is much bigger than two little people in St. Louis. This is a national and international movement. So they allowed an expansion of the exhibit, and it it showed all kinds of historical progression of the disability rights movement um, through the lens of St. Louis, but certainly targeted what's happened nationally um, to increase the improve the lives of disabled people. And that opened in, for 19 months at the museum. It was free. 168,000 people went through that exhibit. Wow. But then we started thinking, okay, bus, so 2010 rolls around, and uh, we started thinking, what do we really need to be doing? And we began to think that really after creating independent living and disability rights and advocacy, the next big step for people with disabilities is economic independence through employment. So we created the Starkloff Career Academy and we created Starkloff Disability Consulting and now we're creating a new youth initiative called Dream Big. So those are three Those are three major emphases in our organization that we're, we're going after. Um, now, the last thing is that there's a book, a um, little shameless promotion here, there's a book called Max Starkloff and the Fight for Disability Rights, and it's available on Amazon. If you just Google up Max Starkloff, the book will come up. And Starkloff is spelled S like in Sam, T like in Tom, A-R-K-L-O-F-F as in Fight, fight. Uh, Max Starkloff and the Fight for Disability Rights was written by a, a really great friend of ours by the name of Charles E. Claggett, whose father had polio. And uh, Charlie was in the ad business and knew us and was really a tremendous supporter of the work we do. And he wrote this book. And so I'm kind of hoping some of your readers, if they'd like a good read, it's, if I do say so myself, it's a good read. So those it are some is, things that I've and I to... purchased it right after I talked to you the last time. So I just want to suggest, again, go to Amazon, and you can get that book. You, I don't know. Can you get it also at your Disability Institute page? or uh, Not through the page, but anybody who gives us a donation of 50 bucks or more and, and, wants a, and would like to um, have a book, we don't sell them, but we we. we we send them to people who are making donations to us. Wow, that so is really we awesome. Can do that. Yeah, we can do that. That, that is really it's awesome. Also, it's also available on, as an audible book, and it's also available as an e-book. So 
for people who, who need that accommodation. It's available in all the formats. Wow, that is great. And now, um, I, now you asked I me think, another part of this question, and yeah. I can tell you, um, if you want me to, about the Starkloff Disability Institute and its mission. Yes, I want to know that. That's what I was just going to say, to tell us the mission and more about the uh, Institute. Go right ahead. Yeah. Well, the Starkloff Disability Institute came about in 2003 when we left Paraquad, and we decided that we needed to create a world that welcomes all people with disabilities. And I mentioned that we do universal design and disability studies, but I'd, I'd like to um, expand a little bit more on our Next Big Step initiative because we have created three major components of that. One is the Starkloff Career Academy. Um, we realized from our, you know, Max, have been, Max and I have been working in this field since 1970s, we realized that um, there's a lot of people with disabilities who have skills when they come out of school, but they have a difficult time um, finding a job. And so we decided that what we would do is assist those people to view themselves as really wonderful, viable candidates rather than feeling like they're going in hat in hand to an interview. So we, this Starkloff Career Academy is, has a number of features. It does the typical one-on-one stuff that a lot of nonprofits and, and uh, work readiness places do. Um, so we do one-on-one work with candidates. But we, this course that we created is a capstone course offered through Maryville University's Continuing Education Program. And it's an eight-week course. Uh, candidates are in class for two, two days a week, three hours at a time. So it's, it's 48 hours in total. And it's very intense. I mean, if you, if you seriously want to get a job, take this class. If you're not so serious about it, if you want somebody else to place you in a job, this is not the course for you. We teach networking. We teach elevator pitches. We teach... Um, we talk about disability pride. These are cross-disability classes. So at any given time, we may have deaf people, hard of hearing people, people who are blind, people who are low vision, people with Asperger's, people with cerebral palsy, people with epilepsy, people with mental illness, you name it. All we care about is are you disabled? Do you have a college degree, a technical degree, or an associate's degree, and do you really want a job? Because um, this class brings in corporations. We have, we have like recruiters, hiring managers, talent acquisition officers from Enterprise Rent-A-Car, St. Louis University, Nestle Purina, Centene Corporation, Enterprise Bank and Trust, the Boeing, um, all these corporations at any, we rotate them so they're not always the same trainers because we do this course twice a year. Um, but they come in and they talk about resume writing, cover letters. Nestle Purina takes our candidates on their campus twice in this class, a month apart, and teaches them about resume writing, cover letters, what they look for. They really drill them on job application skills. Then they come back a month later to Nestle Purina and they bring in their recruiters and hiring managers and they drill for three hours on job interviewing skills. So you're interviewing with people who do this as a, every day. Instead of going to some organization where a, a case manager is telling you how to write a resume and how to dress for success and how to do an interview, no. We have the people who do this for a, a living come in and train our candidates. So our candidates, by the time they graduate, um, they're feeling pretty hot about themselves. And the other thing is, I don't think disabled people really recognize what great problem solvers we are. When you have a disability, that's not a simple thing. And, de- and depending on the severity of disability will dictate how many problems you have to solve in a day or in a lifetime. So we become pretty good. We become very creative, very flexible. We're conflict resolution. Those, of, those people who have attendance are employers. They are supervisors. They are managers. Um, they know that if they don't have a steady supply of attendance, they're not getting out of bed every day. So these are good people persons. And when we put it 
when we frame that to, to the people who take our classes, they're like, oh my gosh, I never saw it that way. And when, the, when you have people with a variety of disabilities, some of whom have been avoiding the fact that they have a disability, hiding from it because they are ashamed or they feel put down or they don't want to be put down, in our class, they start talking about it and they come out of there saying, whoa, I'm as good as anybody else. I'm as much value to the companies that I'm applying for because I'm applying for jobs that I have the skills that they need. And so our candidates, you know, 80% of them find their own jobs. And we are very proud of that and, and we support them. Some people don't find a job right away and they can come back to our office for more kind of backup, more moral support, but ultimately 80% of them find their jobs, and they're the jobs that they want. They don't take a job just to get a job. They're looking for jobs that they really want, and we say to them, get the job you want. Don't take a job in a movie theater selling tickets if you have a degree in human resources. And so they do that, and, and it's, we love that. Um, the other side of it, though, is that companies need help. If, if we go suing companies because they're doing a bad job of hiring people with disabilities, they're going to just keep avoiding hiring people with disabilities. If, on the other hand, they can come to Starkloff Disability Consulting and have a friend, and if they say something wrong, we redirect them, and we go in and train them and help them understand that disabled people aren't as scary as they thought, that they can accommodate somebody with a disability, that these individuals have technology and and, edu- and educational backgrounds and skills that they can lend to their company and that they'll be loyal, show up every day, hardworking employees. When those employers understand that, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. Um, so we need to be their best friend forever. And that's what we do. I mean, we don't do it for free. <laughs> We're a nonprofit and we need to keep our doors open. But when we consult with them, they feel very... Um, very much empowered and very happy to have have that kind of help. Now, I th- I think I just want to interrupt one minute. I yeah, think that is so awesome about the career preparation, because yeah. you know I I so believe in that, and we do that here yeah. uh, because until you understand, we have a motto here at Bender: you will be at work early. Every day with a smile on your face. Because I always tell my employees or potential candidates for other jobs, if you're at work every day with a smile on your face, you already be 60% of the non-disabled population. But if the person doesn't understand (laughs) what it means, (laughs) yeah, if they don't understand what it means to work at a corporation, you know, really, I tell people, when you have a disability, you do not have the socialization process growing up that, that uh, able-bodied people have. Why do I say that? Yep. You know, when you grow up, whether you're a waitress, whatever, you see, oh, that guy was late, he got fired. Oh, that mm-hmm. guy didn't dress right, he got in trouble. Right. Oh, that person has bad social skills. That's not good. You don't realize you're learning this, but you are. Whereas if you've never worked you don't. Correct. Nail on the head. And that's why we're starting our Dream Big initiative. That's our newest program. And that's an outreach to um, younger kids before they go to college. So we have partnered with the special school district of St. Louis County, who used to have all the kids in segregated schools, but because of 94-142 and the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, all those kids are now out integrated throughout the county in regular schools and the special school district provides the kind of supports that the kids need in order to achieve success in the classroom. So I went to them last summer. I broke my leg last summer, so I was sitting at home recuperating and thinking and I thought, um, I had some time to think about what happens with young people. Why, are, why don't we have more young people in the workforce? And, um, you know, you see a lot of kids who go into, like, blind kids going into music because of Stevie Wonder. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not going to make a lot of money doing that. 
um, you'll see them going into social work or, or VR counseling because they had a good social worker or VR counselor. But what? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But have they really explored what the whole range of job opportunities are for them? No. They don't get that in school, and they don't know, and their parents don't know that anybody <coughs> is going to hire their kids. So they're not, they're not always... There's, there, I'm not saying there's not parents who don't push their kids to achieve the highest limits. There are. But there are a lot of parents, especially with the more significantly disabled young people, that don't really know what to say to their kids. So we decided that we needed young people to start dreaming big. So I called the special school district and I said, so what are you doing for youth with disabilities to increase their transition from school to work? Oh, well, we have this great program, you know, we have these job coaches and, and we are getting them to work in the grocery stores and then the healthcare settings and all that. And I said, that's supported employment, right? And they said, right. And I said, great. What are you doing for the college kids? Uh, well, not really anything. I mean, they're going to college. And I said, yeah, but do they know what's out there in the world? And they said, no. And I said, let's, let's partner. Let's do this. So we have, and we're very excited. We, to, to launch this program, we called up Boeing and said, hey, why don't you have a bunch of high school kids come out there? We, we're targeting juniors and seniors first. And give them um, a show of what Boeing does and, and welcome them and have a lunch for them and bring your senior leadership in and tell them that you want these kids to work for Boeing. And they said, we'd love that. So we, February 20th, we took 18 kids um, juniors and seniors, we had kids with learning disabilities, with cerebral palsy, some deaf kids, some blind kids, some legally blind. I mean, it was a real cross. We had a kid with Asperger's in there. We took them out to Boeing. Oh, my gosh, they all want to work for Boeing. (laughs) Boeing just welcomed them, and the big thing that I really wanted out of that was a senior leader. So their senior diversity and inclusion officer came into the Boeing briefing room where they fed them lunch in their big briefing room and said, you know, we're, in a, we're a company that deval- values diversity and inclusion. We want to include people with disabilities in our workforce. And we hope that you will get a college degree that brings, teaches you the skills we need for you to become part of the team here at Boeing. And we want you to come back for job shadowing, for mentoring days, and for internships. We'd love it if you came back here and wanted to work for Boeing. Well, every kid who walked out of there wanted to go to work for Boeing. So this summer, we have a week-long, uh, like a summer camp, but it's, it's, it's focused on what do you want to be when you're going to grow up, when you grow up, and what are you going to take in college? So we'll have, we have juniors and seniors that have signed up. We have 20 kids, um, and we have six corporations in St. Louis that we're going to take them to. One every day, two on the last day. The last day they'll go to the, to the um, Cardinals, and they'll probably give them tickets for a game. But we have Monsanto, Express Scripts, um, Centene Corporation, Nestle Purina, and Enterprise, um, as well as uh, the Cardinals. And these young people will be blown away by these companies basically fighting over them. Isn't that a good thing? If companies will wow. fight over Oh, you. that is a great thing. <laughs> so now, they'll come out of there confused. The, Where are they going to go to work? Well, all six of them. <laughs> well, what are the ages again? Well, this is for, we're starting with juniors and seniors, Joyce, because they're starting to think now about what do they want to do for college. These are college-bound kids. Mm-hmm. These are kids who are going to go either to junior college or four-year college or um, to technical schools. And we have a very cross-disability group of kids, and uh, we're just getting it off the ground. We don't even have the funding for it yet. I hate to say that, but we're trying to raise the money right now so we can get some staff to build this into a bigger program. But, you know, I talked to my good friend John Kemp because John is doing such great work in New York with youth with disabilities. And um, I said, John, I told him about it, and he loved it. And he said, you know what we do? He said, we walk into kindergarten to our little kids with disabilities, and we say, okay, what's your disability? And the little kids tell them, they go, now, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they start challenging them when they're little bitty kids. We need to do that. So as we build this program, we want to reach deeper 
to the younger kids and start setting their expectations and their parents. Everybody needs to dream big about the future for people with disabilities. Yes. You know what? John Kemp is smart doing that. I remember when Judy Human, when I was telling her about what we do at the mm-hmm. Vendor Leadership Academy, which is a volunteer thing I do, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. that I've done now for 15 years in Delaware and Pittsburgh, four different locations. Good. And I was telling her all about this, and she said, yeah, too bad you didn't start in kindergarten. <laughs> she would know. <laughs> yeah, because she said, you know, by the time polio. you get to a certain age, you already have these. She doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but you know what she means. Sure. It starts at such a young age, and it really does. It starts at such a young age. That's why I think that's fabulous what you're doing. You know, I'm so going to tell you one thing. I want to skip ahead to a question yep. because I want to make sure I get to ask you this. Uh, what do you think is going to happen, the impact in this country, if we move to Medicaid block grants or, worse yet, lose, you know, have this thing where states are deciding how much they will give out in Medicaid? Well, I know that you and I think the same thing here, but um, I think that that what the what the proposal that came out of the House is seeking to do is decrease funding over time in the states, um, that decrease medical funding, decrease Medicaid funding to the states, which is our taxpayer dollars coming back to our states. But over time, and actually, I think very quickly it will begin to diminish the number of uh, health care services that are available to people with disabilities, which for some people is a death sentence. And I'm not being dramatic when I say that, and I, I'm sure you agree with me on that point. It will also just be a continued cycle of poverty for people with disabilities. I, I, I find this to be short-sighted. The idea that um, that there would even be a suggestion of offering tax tax uh, credits to people to pay for their health care is so, short, short, so short-sighted and, and indicates that our Congress doesn't even understand what they're talking about relative to disabled people. But I really think that um, it, will, it will begin to cut back the services. I'll give you an example. When our new governor took office uh, in January um, and had to decrease the budget, one of the huge problems with Medicaid funding in the states is with with budgets in the states is the amount of money that goes into the Medicaid program. So if it gets block granted, that means there's a smaller amount of money that's coming to the states from the federal government. So they're going to look for ways to cut. And our governor cut proposed to cut $37 million out of the Medicaid budget. Immediately, people with attend, who needed attendant services would have been cut back and would end up end up in nursing homes, which will end up costing more to the state paying for nursing homes than home and community-based services for people with disabilities to live in their own homes. The whole thing is so short-sighted. It's, it's very dangerous. I hope that people will call their senators and say to strengthen the health care system in this country, provide health, health insurance for all people with disabilities. But I know that this is controversial, what I'm going to say. I'm on a call every week with disability leaders trying to to fight against the cuts to Medicaid. I know that there are some people with Medicaid who are Medicaid eligible who cannot work. But I look at the number of young people coming up who've had Medicaid for their health care, who've gone to college, and who are able to work, and we cannot allow the Medicaid program, which is the hot topic right now, to go without reform to let these young people go to work, keep their health care if their insurer, if their, if their employer can't provide health insurance. But those who need attendance have to be able to keep those attendants. There's no other source of paying for attendance in this country. And Well, I agree with you 100%. And I just want to say I have employees that have jobs, good jobs in IT, that have a significant disability and, and need personal attendance. That would lose their job. 
if they do not have that. Yep. Yep. So and, they, now, you know, I don't know what I don't know what the what the um, limits are in income. It varies by state, but in the state of Missouri, it's three hundred percent of poverty. I have two young people who graduated from our Starcraft Career Academy, both working for major corporations, who had to let them work part time so they wouldn't lose their attendance because of the income caps that there are on your income wow. in order to be eligible for Medicaid. We need to reform that now. We need to let people earn whatever they can earn, use the buy-in, or they call them waivers in some states, and pay in a reasonable amount every month for their Medicaid, which will bring money back to the state instead of all going out to, to people who are um, dependent on Medicaid and not working. Th- this is a mess. This is a program that was created in the mid-60s, and we need to reform it, not just destroy it, because people need it. And it's already been shown they need it. But now people who are Medicaid eligible, if they can go to work and become taxpayers, those who are able to. Um, not, it shouldn't be a mandate. That was one of the things in the, in the AHCA proposal, is that if you want Medicaid, you have to have a job. Well, some people can't work. So it needs to be reasonable. But we have, we have a greater How about that? Now. How about if you need Medicaid to work? Yeah. Exactly. Oh. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's not right. They they don't. They just don't understand. And I'm just hoping that the that people will call their senators and um and and talk to them about the need for reform. Oh, remember Justin Dart? That is, if your life depends on it, because it does. It does. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening today, you could have benefits and don't realize this because it's Medicaid expansion, which was under the Affordable Care Act that you would lose. So if you don't want to see all of this happen, you've got to speak up. You've got to call your senator. You've got to make those phone calls. Those phone calls really have an impact. They really have an impact. We're hearing so calling, now that not enough yeah. people are calling in. We yeah, do need advocates who are listening to call in. Yes, we do. Uh, Colleen, you have already done, wow, so many things, so many accomplishments in your life. But if you had to pick something, choose something, what would be your proudest accomplishment? Uh-huh. I break that into two categories, Joyce. My work is obviously... Um, very important to me. I've I've been fortunate to live long enough to see, I guess, to be tacky, the fruits of my labor. Uh, Max and I, when we started out, there weren't people going to school to the level they are out in the community. We didn't have accessible housing or any of the um, access issues that we have now, access um, uh, uh, opportunities that we have now. And I'll just give you an example. There are two young fellas um, both with muscular dystrophy, both went to college, both wanted to live the life, live the dream. Both of them got a high-end condo in St. Louis, uh, got out of college, went to work. Because they could, if, I th- if those two young fellas were born in the 70s when Max and I started out, they'd be in institutions today. I have lived long enough to see that the work we started on, all of us together, you people all over this country and, and our colleagues around the world, fighting to improve the quality of life with people with disabilities to the point that these two young guys didn't think of anything else except go to school and get a job and live the life. That, to me, is a significant accomplishment, and I, I feel humbled to have been really able to participate in making that happen. But the second thing is, I, I, I think that we have a responsibility to leave the world a better place because we were here. And part of that is your legacy in terms of who you leave behind. My children and my grandchildren, uh, Max and I were fortunate to have adopted three children and now um, my nephew is now my son. My sister died and so now I have four children, and those children are good people. They're doing good with their lives. They're, they have children 
so my grandchildren are going to be raised to be good people and care about this world and make it a better place. So I think whenever I do go with my boots on, the world will be a better place because of my work and because of my my children and my grandchildren. Oh, I, well, and it will be. It will be with you. Hey, I want to make sure before we close the this, this show, what is your website in case someone wants to make a contribution? Uh, thank you. www.starkloff.org. www.starkloff.org. And we'd love it because... Actually, this uh, Thursday, May 11th, is Give STL Day, uh, but it's going on all over the country where nonprofits are raising money. So every little bit helps if people would be willing to support us. I'd appreciate it. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, and I just want to say something about that. You hear these great people like Colleen working for you, trying to make change. You know what? To do that, you need money. You know, you need resources. Right. And you can't just sit back If you can't do it, you've got to support someone else that can do it. And, Colleen, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? You know, um, I kind of like to go back to something that Max used to say. Max, Max said, I'm not confined to a wheelchair. I'm confined to what society tells me I'm confined to. And that goes back to attitude. If you asked Max and I 40 years ago, what was the single greatest barrier facing people with disabilities? Just one thing. We said it was people's attitudes. Societal attitude toward disabled people and disabled people's attitudes toward themselves and their, and their opportunities. If you asked us today, and somebody did uh, about six months before Max died, what's the single greatest barrier you think is facing people with disabilities today? And we said it's still attitude. So I think that um, on the part of disabled people, I would like to ask them to get into this fight that we're in right now. We all have a vested interest in it. We all need to save health care, but we need to save Medicaid, and we need to reform Medicaid to let people go to work. And I hope that the listeners will call their senators and tell them that reforming Medicaid and letting people go to work and, and not requiring those who can't work um, to be cut, you know, cut off of the Medicaid program just because they can't work. But those who can work, let them do it. But to Colleen, employers. I can't thank you enough for being with us today. Colleen, we end every show with a quote. I am going to really make your day here. I'm not confined to a wheelchair. I am confined to what society tells me I'm confined to, said Max Starkloff. How about that, since you already mentioned it? And listen, with that, we've got to go. But everyone, I'll look forward to talking to you next week with my guest, Marsha Blanco. See you then. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.